Ben and I. Yeah. We, uh, no, see, yeah, I did not go to the Sox. And that's not a true statement, what I said. We didn't plan this, all right? Uh, it's not like I'd message the staff and say, tomorrow this is what you're wearing. <laughs> hey, good morning. If you are a guest with us, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm excited. We're in week three of a series, but week two of Advent. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter two. And if, uh, if you want to get your Bibles and turn there, while you're turning there, let me give you two updates, real quick things going on here in the life of our church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we launched what we're calling the Giving Tree, and it's the three Christmas trees that are out in the lobby. And we've partnered with a local organization, um, the Boone County Mentoring Partnership, and they identified 50 children uh, that could use some extra generosity this Christmas season. And so we made these cards. Um, and we put them on the Christmas trees out there, and then we challenged the church. And the reason some of you are looking at me like, I don't remember this, is because by the time third service got out there to the trees, all the cards were gone. Um, and so we apologize. Uh, the church just responded really well. If you did happen to get one of those cards and have purchased gifts, or the cards that we added to those cards, which were meals for families in our community, um, or you want to grab a card on your way out and get a meal, like grab a laundry basket, put the food in there, bring it back, um, we're going to be collecting that all week this week and even next Sunday. And next, a week from Monday, uh, we're going to go ahead and get all of these gifts to the Boone County Mentoring Partnership and all of the food to the Caring Center so that it can be dispersed uh, for Christmas. So I wanted to start by saying thank you for being so generous and responding like incredibly to that. Uh, the second thing is this. About two months ago, I got up here and I shared a financial update with you. I told you where our church was at. A really quick update. Uh, 2016, we embarked on what we called the REACH Initiative. It was a $4.2 million project. And so for a church our size, that was, uh, it was a big leap of faith. Um, and in that $4.2 million was $2.2 million for construction. And so we essentially uh, redid the whole building before the wind blew too hard and knocked it over. Okay? And so we, we put a lot into that. And then it had two years' worth of operating budget to kind of make things happen around here. Well, in a three-year period... Uh, the generosity of our church um, allowed that to get down to just over a million dollars. Okay, and so we were, about two months ago, we had just over a million dollars remaining on that whole project. Well, uh, two months ago, we got up and said, hey, we want to we take that to the next level. Many of you are new to the church. You didn't have an opportunity to give. You're still figuring out, is this my church home? Are we going to start giving? And we wanted to just make it clear where we were at. Uh, we had 65 people uh, place membership at New Hope this year, in just 2019. And so we've seen the Lord adding uh, to the church here. And so we wanted to update everybody. Well, in just those two months, you, uh, the, the generosity has responded. We want to encourage you to keep giving. But we had now uh, reached our goal, and we were able to make a payment on that loan, and it is now under a million dollars. And so in just three years' time, we've got that under a million dollars remaining. And we begin to pray, God, what do you want next? What's next for New Hope? Uh, and our goal is as quickly as possible to wipe that debt out. And so as you keep giving... We'll keep updating. We're not hiding anything. Everything's just open for you to find out about. So we wanted to give you that update, and thank you for your generosity to the church. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. God, you are good, and man, we need that goodness. And so today, as we study Luke chapter 2 together, would you speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear what you want to say to us from your word? And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most famous Christmas stories ever told is a true story uh, that comes from World War I back in 1914. And so my goal this morning was to tell you that story, but I came across a video that really illustrates it well. And so to start out today, I want you to see what took place in World War I uh, on Christmas Day in 1914. Bring your attention to the screens. 
Jenkins. I'm clean. No. Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön. story. A lot of times that story is used, a very true story, but it's used to illustrate uh, how human beings desire peace and friendship so much. But I want to remind you that that story took place in one of the bloodiest conflicts in human history. A war started by humans declared against other human beings. See, I think it's a reminder of our very flawed attempt at creating peace in our own strength. A video like that reminds me that humanity is no good at ruling over itself. That our best attempt at creating peace is flawed and temporary when it's at its best. I mean, how many of these guys never celebrated another Christmas after that one? How many of those soldiers never made it home? It's because our attempts at peace... On a much smaller level than that, they're the same way. We're just not good. We're not good at creating peace. I mean, how many of us have said something 
or done something that's hurt somebody else in our lives? How many of us, instead of speaking life into other people, our words have pierced through their heart with pain and with tears? How many of us have lost our temper, lost our cool, and made Christmas anything but peace because of the poor decisions that we've made with our lives? See, I think Christmas, it's just... A, a reminder of it. I think it's all around us. I mean, you want to you understand that we are no good at creating be You should do some premarital counseling, all right? I get to do a lot of premarital counseling. And what you learn is that, hey, guys, guess what I'm going to prepare you to do? I'm preparing you to fight <laughs> because you're going to fight because you're about to live with somebody all the time, and it's going to get tense. And anyone who's been married longer than three seconds will tell you, yeah, like we fight. Some people are like, you should have seen our honeymoon. It was World War III. We could have made a video like it was crazy. Because that, we're not good at it. We're not good at creating peace. We're not good at maintaining peace. See, today as we study, we're going to have a, a kind of a vivid reminder of that in the text, a very familiar text. It's a passage that we go to all the time. If you've turned in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, let me give you just a little bit of the context. Luke is a, a doctor who, when he begins writing his gospel message, just gives us a really honest reason why he's going to write. He just says, let me just tell you exactly why I'm writing down uh, the, this, this story of Jesus, all the different elements of this biography of Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, here's what he says. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and have delivered these things to us, it seemed good to me also. And here, here he goes. He says, to have Uh, after having followed these things closely, meaning he paid attention to all the details that he could about the life of Jesus. He says, to write an orderly account. So I don't just want to jot down my ideas. I'm not just opening up my journal. He said, I'm going to do the hard work of all the details. I'm going to write these things down for you, most excellent the office. So he's writing to a friend. And he says that you may, here's why he's writing, that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. He said, so I'm going to give you as much detail as I can. I'm going to do all, look, Luke was a doctor, but he's more like an investigative journalist at this point. And he says, I'm going to do all the homework. I'm going to put out all the details that I possibly can, Theophilus, because you've been taught about Jesus, and I want you to have certainty in the things that you've been taught. And he proceeds to give us so much detail in his written account of the life of Jesus. And we encounter that when we get to chapter 2 in the birth of Jesus. He gives us a lot of detail. And so if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to read. From a very familiar, look, you've seen this passage all over the place. It's in our Hallmark cards, in our Hallmark movies, it's ornaments. If you've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you've read this passage. Why? Because what does Charlie Brown do? And the only way Charlie Brown can, at the very end of the movie, what does he do? He opens his mouth at like a, at like a complete opening and he says, what's the real meaning of Christmas? And what does Linus, his friend, do? He doesn't tell Charlie Brown, which is kind of weird. He actually appears on a stage with a spotlight and he says hey, the real meaning of Christmas, and he recites the passage that we're going to read today. Luke gives us these details, and he says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph, he also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
Then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. There's our word, peace, among those with whom he is pleased. You can be seated. Right off the bat, he starts giving insane detail. In the first three verses, Luke begins to detail, hey, when Jesus was born, here's who was in charge uh, on a large level. He was in charge in a local level. Here's what was going on in the world around. Here's why everybody was in the town and everybody got to the town that Jesus was born in because the prophecy said Jesus had to be born in a certain town. In order to get him there, God used this census. And I love it because he is giving Theophilus the ability to fact check him. He's saying, go ahead and check it out. This is who was in charge. This is what was going on. And this is exactly the details that you need to have confidence that this event actually happened. This child was actually born in this location at this time with this going on all around the world. But here's why I love it. Because a lot of times news is reported on a local level because it only affects local people. But Luke is saying, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually tell you globally that this is global news. This is the type of news that's not just reported on a local level. It's to be reported on the global level, a world news report saying this child is born in this place at this time. And then he goes on and gives all kinds of details about the actual birth of Jesus. He says Joseph was with Mary. They go back to Joseph's hometown. They're in this hometown where all these other people have come back to town because they have to be counted in the census. And they go looking for a place to live. Now, a lot of people have said, well, they got rejected by everybody. Everyone hated them and they didn't have a place. It's not exactly how history played out. You see, Joseph had family here. This is where he was from. His family was from here. And so he would have shown up. Maybe you've had family come in town for a holiday and the house fills up quick. Or maybe there's a wedding or something. The house fills up quick. And what do you do when there's no more room in the house? You start finding local hotels, places that people can go. Well, picture everybody coming back to town. Everybody. To be counted in the census. So every hotel is cram-packed. Everything is full. So they go looking for another place to stay. And everybody keeps telling them, no, there's no room here. There's no room. Everything's packed out. They would not have been completely rejected. More than likely what took place is they were welcomed into a family member's home. And homes would have been built with two stories in that day. On the top floor of this home would have been where you slept. This is where the family slept and they were taken care of. On the bottom floor, there would have been where you kept your animals. And you would have kept them actually in the same structure as the family. Now, while they would have been staying in that bottom floor where the animals stayed, they weren't ex extended great hospitality. Nobody said, you know what, we'll stay down there and you stay upstairs. Yeah, you're pregnant. Like, who's going to do that to a woman who's pregnant, who's that pregnant, who is with child, who any moment now, you stay down with the animals, we'll stay upstairs. I think because they were judging. Yeah, Joseph, hey, like, how did this person you're not married to get pregnant? Oh, an angel. An angel came. And an an uh, I don't know that I'd call her an angel, uh, right? I, I, but that's what you, okay, you know what, why don't you guys stay down here? We're going to go upstairs. Like, we got to let you stay. We're not going to put you out on the street, but you're definitely not staying uh, where we stay. And so now uh, the shepherds are addressed, and he gives great detail about the shepherds. And he says, hey, the shepherds come, and he says, hey, what you're looking for, code, what all of human history has been waiting for is here. And this is exactly where you're going to go to find it. And when you get there, this is exactly what you're going to be looking for. You're going to be looking for this child. And then in verse 14, he says, and this is what you've been looking for, even though you didn't know it. And this is what all of human history has been looking for, even though they didn't know it. This child comes. He's going to bring with him peace on earth. 
And I read that, and I think, that's incredible. That's so good. I mean, that warms your heart. That's such a good Christmas story. But if you continue reading Luke's gospel, you get a little bit confused because just 10 chapters later, this baby grows up, and he begins to teach. And Jesus begins to go around teaching. And at one instant, in, in Luke chapter 12, right at verse 51, he's asked a question. His response is Luke 12, 51, and he says this, Do you really think I came to bring peace on earth? I did not come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring division. And I'm thinking, wait a second. That's actually the same wording that was used to describe the coming of this child. The baby, it says, when he's born, will bring peace on earth. But the grown-up version of the baby, Jesus, the Messiah, is saying, I did not come to bring peace on earth. And so you sit back and you say, how, do you do, how is this supposed to work? He, he's supposed to bring peace on earth, but he says of himself, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. What in the world's going on if not, maybe the definition of peace is not the one we write on our Christmas card? And so I want, in an effort to provide some clarity around this text, I think one of the best things we can do is to start out by saying, what is peace not? What is this peace not? So that we can have a better understanding of what this peace actually is. You know, sometimes when you want clarity around something, you say, what is it not? So that we can then narrow it down and figure out what exactly it is. And so the first thing I'll tell you is that the peace that Luke, that the angels proclaimed in Luke chapter 2, that this child would bring to earth is not political. It's not political at all. It can't be. Because Luke describes for us in other places why this can't be political. Now, some might be saying, you know what, Rob, I think I take issue with that because it is Christianity that has made this world much more humane, a much better place to live. They've served. They've done all kinds of things. It is Christianity is the reason why there's even a sliver of hope uh, for any kind of peace in this world. Where others would uh, argue, and I can tell you this from personal experience, very passionately they would argue, that is absolutely not the case. Christianity is not responsible for peace. It's responsible for the opposite. And you got two sides of this argument. So, like, how is this peace not political? I would say, hey, on both sides, they'd agree on this. Throughout human history, there has been a lot of bloodshed everywhere, all over the place. Currently, right now in our world, there's all kinds of war going on. We've got the issues in, in Syria and Turkey, all over the world. There is war and there is bloodshed. When we look back in the last 2,000 years of history since Jesus came. Many would say that the 20th century was the bloodier than any of the others combined. And I'd say the 21st is well on its way. There is war and conflict and difficulty everywhere. And here's why I'm saying that. Because if what Luke said in Luke chapter 2 was intended to say that when Jesus comes that there will be peace on earth, meaning all conflict will cease, then it stands to reason that somebody who had an issue with this might be able to say 2,000 years later, hey, Jesus, you and your followers have been here for 2,000 years. It doesn't seem to have worked. The peace on earth that was proclaimed doesn't seem to have taken root. It doesn't seem to be real, except that's not what the Bible's teaching. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is asked the question, what will the signs be when the end is near? And Jesus says this, but he writes it a certain way. Luke writes it a certain way. He says this, when you hear of wars and revolutions, see to it that you're not surprised. These things must happen. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Luke chapter 21, same gospel message. What Jesus is saying in that moment is this. Don't, don't expect that war and conflict will ever end. Jesus says it will be here to the very end. If anything, things are going to get worse. It's a very clear depiction that the, the peace that Luke chapter 2 promised us with the coming of Jesus is not political at all. Don't get me wrong. Jesus also said that we are to be peacemakers. 
And so you have, wait a second. So we're supposed to live in this world as followers of Jesus, as peacemakers, even though this peace is not necessarily going to be attainable because there's always going to be some sort of conflict going on in the world. And he says, yeah, you have to be a peacemaker. But that's Advent. That's Christmas. That's why we're waiting. We put our effort into something while we wait. We actively wait, hoping that one day when he comes back, there will be real peace. But the peace that was promised at the first coming is not political. The second thing is this. It cannot be. An interpersonal peace. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Many people will say, okay, well, if it's not a physical peace, an end of war, then it's this spiritual peace. It's just inside of me. And Jesus just, he, he makes me a better person so that uh, because of the peace that he promised, I'm going to really be able to become a better person. And I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to be uh, the full version of who I'm supposed to be in this life. And I'm going to attain this place where uh, I, I have all kinds, all sorts of peace in my life. I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. I'm not going to get mad anymore. I'm not going to say things I shouldn't say anymore. Because if I just do more, if I just work toward this, the peace was promised, I can attain that peace. And sadly, too many people preach that false teaching. We sell thousands of self-help books every year, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, telling us that if we just, uh, this peace is attainable, but here's the deal. It's not attainable. We can't have it. It's like saying that God's at the top of the mountain and the peace of God's at the top of the mountain. If you'll just work harder, you'll just do more. Eventually, you're going to get there only to find out, like anybody will tell you, it doesn't work. Somehow, that the peace that Jesus is promising us is just going to work, but it doesn't work. That's not what Jesus was saying. Because, again, if that was the case, then we would say, wait a second, then what about all these followers of Jesus who still battle anger and difficulty and lust and all these other things that aren't peaceful at all? How do you deal with that? You deal with it because that's not the peace. It's not the way peace was described. What Jesus is, what he's saying is, look, what, what happens when you accept the peace that I offered you, I'm going to come and it's going to create some disruption in your life. The things that you crave and desire, you're going to know that you're not supposed to be a part of that anymore. You're going to feel a weight to not lose your temper, to not say things to people like that anymore. You're gonna, you're, it's going to disturb you. When you begin to stand up for me the way that I've called you to stand up for me, people are going to reject you. And they're going to say things about you that, that are wrong. And they're going to persecute you because of me. Jesus is not saying that when I come, it's going to be so peaceful and you're going to become the best version of yourself tomorrow morning. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is it's going to get rough. It's going to get difficult. Why? Because standing up for me in a broken world, it's not an easy thing to do. He says, if anything, it's not going to be peaceful. But, but here's the thing. We just got done studying the book of Philippians and did not the apostle Paul say that if you will train your mind a certain way, that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did he not say that you will be able to attain a peace that surpasses understanding? He did, but that peace is, is still under the influence of sin all around us. The sin that we struggle with, the sin that others struggle with. That peace, we will get a glimpse of it. We might have a season of it, but we will, it is still susceptible to the power of sin. That's why we wait for Advent. That's why we can't wait. Why? Because what we get a taste of in this life, that peace that surpasses understanding, one day there'll be no need for it. Peace will be our reality without any threat whatsoever of conflict or difficulty or depression or anger or frustration. We will have nothing but peace when we wait. But here's the question I've got. Luke chapter 2 said that when the child was born, there was a peace coming into the world. What was that peace? I mean, if it's not political and it's not solving all of our political issues around the world. And you got so many people that will say, no, well, in the name of Jesus, we're going to go. And Jesus is like, no, don't misuse my name and say that you're going to war and, and you're going to create division in my name. That is not what I'm talking about. He said, no way. That's a political and a power grab. That's pride at work. What he is saying here is that you'll get a glimpse and a taste of peace in this world. 
It'll find its fulfillment in the world to come. But what about the peace the child provided when he was born? What is that peace? See, it's not political, and it's not an interpersonal peace. And so what is it? I mean, what is that peace that he promised? I think it's really captured well in a song that was written uh, by a, name, a man named Charles Wesley. And he summarizes it in a song that we sing a lot during the Christmas season. You'll be familiar with the words, but he really gets at the heart of what Luke is saying when he describes what the, coming, the first coming of Jesus, the peace that it actually provided. Here's what he says. He says, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. And here it is. Here's the solution. That peace is this. It's God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. It is the promise, the fulfillment that he would come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Picture it this way. Every other religion on earth teaches God sits at the top of a mountain. And you do everything that you can to climb that mountain. You work hard. You try to create peace on earth. So you get into this social justice movement. You try to create peace. And you read all the self-help books and you become the best version of yourself. And you get after it. And if you're lucky and you put all your energy into it, maybe the God that sits at the top of that mountain will find pleasure in you. And many other broken worldviews and philosophies will teach. And it doesn't matter what path you take as long as you're going to get to God at the top of the mountain. And only Christianity and all of human teaching and all of human history says, no, that's not it. The God at the top of the mountain came down the mountain. And he came down for you. To do for you what you could not do for yourself. No matter how much effort you created to, to bring peace, you failed. No matter how much effort we make it creating world peace, we will continue to fail because it's still susceptible to sin. No matter how much effort we put into becoming the best version of myself who's always peaceful and pleasant, I will fail because I still have a battle with sin. That does not mean we don't put our efforts into attaining peace and being peacemakers. All it means is understand properly we cannot do this within our own strength. We needed God to come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves because we failed the test over and over and over again. I read this week of a, a girl who went to a theological university. And she, went, she wanted to study, and so she takes this class on New Testament theology and justification uh, by faith, meaning that you're, you're justified in the eyes of God, meaning God came down the mountain. You couldn't get up the mountain on your own. God did this for you. So she takes this semester-long class, and it's tough. She takes the class, but she loves it. It's really good. The professor's great. Well, they get to their final exam. It's a true story. Get to their final exam, and she sits down with all of the other classmates, and they take this final exam, and she says, it's brutally hard. It's just a really difficult test. A couple days later, the professor posts on a public wall for everybody to come and see physically. He printed it out and he put it on a wall. All of the test grades that everybody got on the final exam. Like, think about how that'd be tough, right? But he did it to show that every single student failed his exam. Every single one of them. There wasn't one exception. No one even got close. Everybody failed. Well, naturally, you post something like that on a physical wall for everybody to see. It took no time for over 100 students to line up outside this guy's door. And they're angry. She said some of them were crying, like weeping. Others were angry and frustrated, right? You're like, no, are you serious? Yeah, watch college kids nowadays. They they care. (laughs) Maybe too much. Well, this guy comes out of his office, and he looks at all of them, and they're all angry and frustrated, and he says, okay, let me ask one question, just one question. Was there anything on the exam that wasn't in the syllabus? Silence. And he said, you knew everything you were supposed to know, or you had an opportunity to know. 
was anything on the exam that was not in the syllabus. Just complete and total silence. He said, what I've done is I've taken every question and I wrote out what a correct answer would have been that none of you seem to have gotten. And I stapled it to your exam and I've put the percentage that you got along with the grade that you got and I'll go get them. Stay right here. And he goes and he gets this stack of exams. You're thinking, this guy's evil. And you get this stack of exams. He begins to pass it out to over 100 students. And they begin to read the percentage that they got along with their grade. And the first kid reads his and it's 26% with a grade of A. 15% A. 7% A. 35% A. And they're like confused. What is going on? Why is... And he says, look, guys, for this whole semester, I've been teaching you that you cannot please God on your own. You needed God to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. But I've noticed all semester, it's created no real peace in your life. And so I had to teach you one more time, one more time, that no matter how hard you worked, you were going to fail this exam but you didn't get the grade you deserved. You got the grade that was given to you. See, that's Christmas. I mean, we put all of our efforts into creating peace. All around the world, we do it in our own lives. In our marriages, with our friendships, we just put all this effort into it and we just fail. We fail. We fail. And God says, I'm giving you the grade that you don't deserve. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And he says, peace on earth, what that means is this. All you have to do is admit that you need it and make a decision to follow Jesus in this life while you're alive now. He says, it's available to you. You keep failing and failing and failing, but I have a passing grade for you if you want it. And so my honest prayer for you this Christmas is that you would respond the way that Charles Wesley did. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth in my life and everyone around me. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Why? Why? Because now, through Jesus, God and sinners, they're reconciled. Let's pray.